for people who like to mess with computers. This is Linux Unplugged, episode 308, for some time in the future! Yeah, you. Thanks for tuning in to your weekly Linux talk show. My name is Chris. My name is Wes. Hello, Wes. This week, we're doing something kind of special. We're throwing out the regular format, and we're making an episode all about PCI pass-through. Wait, wait. Finally. I know. I know. Finally, really, actually. This is actually something I've been wanting to do for, oh, I don't know, about five years, and we finally get to do it. But wait, if it's not for you, I encourage you to stick around. You may learn something. Maybe we'll pique your interest. This is something that solves a lot of problems. If you want to run Windows, Mac OS, and Linux at the same time, maybe you even want to run Windows games without having to mess with proprietary drivers on your main Linux desktop, this is something that can help you achieve that. And PCI pass-through can also just be a great way to get full performance when you distro hop. And I use the term full performance a little vaguely, but full graphical performance if nothing else. For distro hopping, that's such a great way to try out different Linux distributions without having to nuke and pave every single time. Or the like slowness and artificial properties of using a VM. Oh, Wes. Oh, I have got a long sort of sorted history with virtualization. It, it really stems back from maybe even pre-PowerPC on the Macintosh System 7 platform. You had virtual PC which would emulate the entire Intel stack. It had to do translation from Intel to PowerPC to execute on a PowerPC system, or it might have been an 8086 system back then. I, I, don't, I don't remember what they were. Those were the days. So you were really in real virtualization. As time went on, if money was available, you could buy a expansion I think it was Netbus card that you would install that had an Intel processor and memory on it. It was like an entire PC on an expansion card that would then communicate with proprietary, expensive virtualization software. (laughs) So desktop virtualization has come a long way, and server virtualization has come even further. I have a a long history with VMware and, and server virtualization, too. One of the best things about desktop Linux is we can take advantage of all of the developments in progress in the server space right here on our workstations. So there are a few caveats about PCI pass-through. There's a few things you have to know, but I thought we'd start with describing our hardware setup so you have an idea of what works for us, and maybe you can build your setups around there. So let's start by going around the horn, because also on the line we have Cheese, Alex, and Drew. Alex, let's start with your virtualization setup. Right then, so... This topic is something that I've been secretly hoping you would cover for years, and I'm so happy that I'm around whilst you're doing it. Um, PCI pass-through, I got into got, got me into Linux in the first place in 2013. I'm just looking back at the Linux server blog, and uh, I have a post dated <laughs> 10th of August 2013, how to compile a custom kernel ready for Zen and Ubuntu server 1304. <laughs> oh boy. So that's going back a bit. Yeah, I think you probably have the longest standing on the panel here. Back then, there was a whole bunch of stuff you had to consider. Um, but th- there's a few things that have remained constant throughout that period, and, and the most important thing to get right is your physical hardware. So um, there's a few prerequisites that you need. First of all, your CPU must support what's called VT-D uh, or VTX if you're in the Intel world. Um, 
I forget the name of the AMD one, but there's a similar equivalent. Um, so not only must your CPU actually support it, and you can use the Intel Arc to tell you whether it does or not, uh, your motherboard must also support it. But on top of that, your specific BIOS version must support it. So there have been cases where BIOS updates have broken PCR pass-through for people and they've had to downgrade. So it's cutting edge, a lot less so than it was five, six years ago, but it's still, uh, some assembly is required. Yeah, that's fair. That's definitely fair. Now, most Xeons, in fact, I think all Xeons have shipped with VTD extensions for the longest time. So you don't need to worry if you have a Xeon-based system because servers and things like that have been using pass-through for NICs and uh, SATA controllers and all sorts of stuff for a long time. What got me the most excited about this stuff a few years ago was um, being able to put a video card in my system. So back then, you used to need an AMD card. But nowadays, you can use an AMD card and an or an NVIDIA card with some caveats, which we'll probably come to later. And when you say passing through the video card, you you essentially are blacklisting it from the underlying operating system and exclusively making it available to the virtualization subsystem. And it shows up in your VM as if it was plugged right into that VM's PCI bus. And the operating system in your VM is responsible for the driver and the communication with the hardware the whole lot. The VM has no idea that it's not directly connected to the PCI bus as if it was a native machine. So that's why the performance is, it's roughly between between 95 and 98% of bare metal performance, which is for all intents and purposes, pretty good. Pretty, pretty good. And then there's also the visceral experience uh, in my case, although there's other ways to do this, which we'll cover. I have then a physical monitor plugged into that video card, and I'm also using a physical mouse and keyboard that are plugged into dedicated USB ports. So the the VM that I am using feels completely to my monkey brain like a dedicated PC because it's got a screen, it's got a mouse, it's got a keyboard, and everything's fully accelerated. Now, CPUs prior to Skylake, um, Intel did some skew skullduggery. Ooh, that's a nice phrase. Um, <laughs> where they limited VTD to non-K chips only. So traditionally, the K chips were their overclocking chips, and the non-K chips were not. And if you wanted to do this virtualization pass-through, PCI pass-through, you had to buy like an i5-3570, not the 3570K, for example. So from Skylake onwards, though, I think pretty much every CPU included uh, VTD, but use the Intel Arc to double check what the CPU yeah. does and does not support. Sounds especially annoying for gamers, right? You might want to overclock and then yep. you couldn't use something like pass-through. Yeah, it's, it's one of these things that really turns me off Intel, to be honest, and makes me hate them. Um, <laughs> there's some stuff that NVIDIA have done uh, as well, which like, we'll come to, but um, it, 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 these big guys, they just have this way of differentiating their products that is just BS, and it's really annoying sometimes. Yeah, it comes down to uh, artificial limitations, so that way they can charge more for the enterprise-grade chips. In the case of Intel, it's Xeons, and in the case of NVIDIA, it's their higher-end uh, graphics card that they sell to businesses. Now, uh, we, well, we'll circle back to video here in a moment, because there's still some fundamentals that your system has to be able to support, and there's a very important concept that you have to understand in order to group these PCI devices together and allocate them to your VM. Do you want to cover the IOMMU grouping stuff real quick? Yeah, so to pass a device through, you must pass an entire IOMMU group. Yeah, I'm sorry, but just to interrupt really quick, what, what is an IOMMU group in like, like really basic terms? 
so far as I understand it, and I'm probably going to butcher this, but it's a logical grouping of devices on the motherboard. So I think it's got something to do with PCI lanes and how they're presented to the CPU and, and all that kind of thing. So often what you'll find on consumer grade motherboards is that two or three different PCI slots are kind of grouped together into a single group. And that doesn't sound like a big deal until you're doing, uh, you know, one VM has a graphics card and then you want your host to also have a graphics card as well, for example. So you've got two GPUs in this system. Now, if they're both in the same IOMMU group, then you're unable to tell the VM to only grab that single device. It will try and grab everything in that group. Right. So the same is true of USB um, controllers or SATA controllers or anything. Each thing mm-hmm. has to be in its own group for separation. And you have to bring over the entire group. So here's a perfect example that just about anybody doing video pass-through will run into. Most um, modern video cards have an HDMI port. Well, that HDMI port includes audio. And so that actually, the audio component of HDMI shows up as a separate device on the PCI bus, and you need to blacklist both of those devices and then allocate them to the VM because they're all in that IOMMU group. And the other thing that, like in my case, was very relevant is a Thunderbolt 3 device. All of those devices in that Thunderbolt 3 device are in a PCI group or an IOMMU group. And that, in my case, worked really well because I could dedicate the entire dock to the VM in that instance. Yeah, and like server equipment. So we talked about Xeons being well-supported. Server motherboards often have very generous IOMMU groups. Um, So they have, you know, one group per PCI slot, for example, because they know that a lot of their customers are going to be doing this. So all hope is not lost. If you have bought a consumer-grade motherboard that groups multiple PCI ports together, under the same group. Um, You can uh, apply an ACS kernel patch, which will artificially separate those uh, devices out into separate groups, allowing you to have multiple devices in the same physical group. But so far as your OS is concerned, they're in a different logical grouping, so it works just fine. There are some um, security concerns, and I forget exactly what they are, but you want to be sure that you understand the ramifications of this ACS patch before you apply it, because it can allow for some uh, nasty things, breakouts from the VMs, for example. Yeah. It essentially does not guarantee isolation for a particular device. So while it does get quote unquote isolated, it's not quite the same where uh, something could potentially use it to break out of a VM and attack the host. Right. And to be clear, this is only if you're using that workaround, that ACS patch. Um, And in my case, this actually works out fantastic because I'm passing through Thunderbolt 3 devices, and I want, on these Thunderbolt 3 devices, I want the gigabit Ethernet, I want the USB bus, I want the sound card, the display port, the GPU, I want it all to go to the virtual machine. So it just happened to be in my particular setup Having to group all these together anyways made it actually simpler to just pass the entire Thunderbolt 3 devices through to the VM. And in my case, I'm not breaking any isolation. I'm not running any risk. It's perfectly safe. I'll tell you another use case where um, this ACS patch is useful. Um, So if you have multiple identical graphics cards in the same system, let's say you've got two RX 560s, for example, or two 1060s or something two GPUs that present themselves as their PCI IDs as the same device, um, that can be really tricky. And sometimes you need to move the physical devices around in the actual slots on your motherboard to get the host to pick up the right GPU first. So 
in my system here, for example, I have an RX 560 and a 1080 Ti. The 560 is in the top slot on the motherboard and the 1080 is in the second slot, which is the other way around to what you would think to get the 16X and the 8X slots. In reality, that performance difference is so negligible that I don't actually care about that. Um, And by having it this way around, my Arch host can um, pick up the AMD GPU first and use that for Linux with all the native kernel support it has. And then my guest just picks up the second slot and it it just works. Hmm. Now let's, we'll get more into our individual setups because (laughs) each one of us has a very different setup. But uh, one thing that's going to be common is all of these VMs will use an open source UEFI firmware. They have to be on UEFI firmwares for this to work. Yeah. So the magic that makes all this possible is OVMF. That was uh, one of the things a few years ago that um, caused a lot of headaches. So uh, if I look at one of my really old blog posts from September 2013, I am looking at a Windows 8 VM, just to give you an idea of the context of where we were at that point, kernel 3.10 for Linux. Wow. So, you know, it's quite a long time ago. You used to have to eject your graphics card before rebooting the VM because if you didn't do that, then the firmware on the graphics card didn't reset. So when you reboot your system, there's a whole bunch of resetting of different firmwares, and basically the graphics card has a small BIOS on it as well. Um, That doesn't sound like too big of a deal until something like Windows Update comes along and just randomly reboots your VM for fun. Um, So I had to write these, they're very basic scripts back in the day, that uh, ran in a registry key that ejected the graphics card at startup and shut down in the Windows VM to get around that problem. <laughs> now, these days with OVMF, uh, it's so easy that the UF, UEFI BIOS is on all these cards, just handles the resets, even in a VM scenario, just fine. So it's, you know, you can reboot, shut down, reattach to a different VM. You know, you can go, you can go to town and go crazy and it will just continue to work and it won't lock up the host anymore. I have had bad luck with uh, my RX 570 doing a full reset, where in some cases with Windows and Mac VMs, I have to power off the system or sleep the system, the whole system, before the graphics will reset. Did not have that issue with the NVIDIA graphics, which surprised me. I thought it'd be the other way around. Um, okay, now why don't we get into our setups? Because I think that's an interesting bit here. Is And then we'll get into like configuring the various aspects of it, depending on what your setup is. I also want to get into something like Looking Glass, if uh, you don't necessarily want to have a dedicated monitor, dedicated hardware. There's other there's other solutions there too. But Alex, let's start with uh, your, your uh, current PCI pass-through setup. I have two. So my um, main desktop rig is, as I've said, it's got an RX 560 and a 1080 Ti in it. Uh, the 1080 is dedicated to uh, Windows and the RX 560 is dedicated to Linux. And to be honest with you, the only reason I have Windows lying around these days is for Adobe stuff for Lightroom and Photoshop and that kind of thing. It's an Intel CPU, an 8700K and uh, 32 gigs of RAM. So not that much RAM, mm. but it, it works just fine. You're doing a dedicated disk or are you just doing like a, a cow file or somewhere? How are you doing that? Oh, Yes. Disks are important to talk about. So when you've got two machines on your system, um, you're probably going to want to make sure that there's at least a SSD per machine. Now you can run your virtual machine out of a QCOW image on the same SSD as your host OS. Obviously that's going to limit performance because there's only so many inputs and outputs 
physically a device can do in any given time. So I have a dedicated um, SATA controller that I pass through to the VM so that the uh, guest just sees a native SSD as if it was plugged straight in. Now, there is one other thing that's worth talking about. Um, there's these Vert IO drivers. Now, they are developed by Red Hat, and they enable a huge performance leap over just standard SATA emulation. Now, when you're installing Windows, there's a few hoops you'll need to jump through in terms of enabling drivers. So in the installer, you'll need to um, load up not only the Windows ISO, but also a Vert IO ISO, which is available in the show notes. There's a link. Mm -hmm. And with that uh, Vert IO ISO, you'll need to browse through and find the storage driver to enable the Vert, uh, enable Windows to see the Vert IO drive. Otherwise, when you get to the install page and it says, select the device you want to install, it will just be a blank list. And that, that fucks me for quite a while. The fun of Windows. Ooh. <laughs> Vert IO is amazing because it's the system, the driver is aware that it's virtualized and so it communicates intelligently with the hypervisor. And uh, just a quick rabbit hole tangent to that, um, QMU developer, I think Alex, you're the one that noticed this, uh, thinks that it looks like Apple is adding early support for Vert IO and frame buffer graphics to the latest iterations of Mojave and Catalina. So it looks like Apple is adding virtualization, vert IO driver support to Mac OS, which is going to make this even easier down the road. Would that justify a $100,000 cheese grater to you? No, because I can run this on a custom-built Linux box and get GPU performance in Mac OS. In fact, we'll get there in a moment. But uh, is there any other any other uh, notes on your setup? Or that's a pretty comprehensive review. I I like that. I like the SATA pass through tip. I am using a QCow file on my laptop disk because obviously I can't stuff a ton of SATA disks in there, and I do notice a bit of of a performance impact. Nothing major once like games are loaded and stuff, but um, yeah, during patching and whatnot, it's brutal. There's a few other things like CPU pinning, for example, for performance. So you need to ensure that your host system has at least one full core available to use at all times. Otherwise, you know, if your host system runs out of CPU time, it's go you're going to have a bad time. The other thing is how do you handle sound and keyboard and mice? So sound is a tricky one. There's lots of different options here. Uh, the one that I'm using at the moment is to stream from the guest through to pulse audio on the host. And that works fine. Um, it can be a little crackly at times, but not enough that I'm bothered to fix it. Um, the other thing is you could just buy a USB DAC, for example, sound card, plug that in and pass that through, and that will give you audio directly from the host. Another neat way to do it is to use the HDMI um, headphone out on your display to plug into your sound Ooh. that way so when you switch the input on a display you're automatically switching the sound input as well so that's another way to do it i'll add just for context what i decided to do was get a usb gaming headset and i use that for all kinds of stuff and if i want audio i just plug that in okay drew so uh you've uh, recently set up a, a pci pass-through and i think it's a little different than what we're doing so tell me about your setup so my setup is on a Ryzen-based system, so I am using AMD-V instead of VTD, and that works fine. That I had no problems with at all, was pretty much out of the box on the latest uh, kernel, you know, which at the time is 5.1.2. 
I want to say. Are you on Fedora? Currently, yes. And the Uh, reason I'm on Fedora is I had started this journey on Ubuntu and I ran into some issues because I do have an RX 580 and an RX 480 and they do show up with the same device IDs. So while they were in different IOMMU groups, I could not select just one of them to pass through. And Mm. I started, I even like I rolled a whole kernel, but I couldn't get the initram FS script that would detect the boot GPU and then pass through the non-boot GPU through. I couldn't get that to run reliably. So I ended up going back to Fedora because in all honesty, I'm just more comfortable with, you know, Dracut and using their InitRamFS system. To me, it's more transparent and easier for me to read. I'm sure I probably could have gotten there on Ubuntu, but it would have taken a lot more time and I wanted to get this going. So yeah, over to Fedora and turns out I needed to use the ACS patch. Oh, well, there is a handy dandy pre-built kernel for it in uh, copper. Nice. So I grabbed that. That'll be linked in the show notes. And you know, loaded up the initramfs script that I grabbed from the Arch Wiki and dropped that into Dracut and off to the races. Yeah, it immediately put that second RX card into the VFIO drivers and dropped it out of the host system entirely. So like that monitor, you know, boot up, that monitor's black, it's not picking up anything, and I could pass it straight through to the VM. Perfect. Which is great. Now, currently, the way I'm doing keyboard and mouse is I am also passing through the USB 3.1 ports on my tower, and I have a little... um, USB 3 breakout that I can plug between the front panel on my computer to a um, USB extension that runs back to that USB 3.1 that I'm passing through. And these are different devices, so you still have you still have USB ports for the host system, but then you have a separate USB controller that you can pass through to the guest? Exactly, yeah. So I just move that USB hub from one port to the other, and boom, donezo, I've switched from controlling my host to my vm so that was the simplest easiest solution there's a fun little um usb switcher thing that you can buy which is a box which has two usb cables coming out the back one you plug into one bus one you plug into the other bus that's passed through to the vm and then there's a button on top of it that you can physically press what where do i find this uh i'll i'll find a link and put it in the show notes thank you Yeah, I need that real bad. Um, (laughs) So now for disks, I had originally started trying to uh, use a spare partition that I had. But because this is UEFI, you can't really use just a single partition. The UEFI just does not work properly because it'll see that there's another UEFI on that same disk and try to boot through that. You have to do a whole disk. Um, and Alex, you can correct me if I'm wrong. Maybe I didn't do it right, but it did not work for me. Um, so I think I need to go out and buy another SSD and slap it in my tower to uh, really mm. do it right. But right now I'm using mm-hmm. a raw image, not QCOW, but raw. Why raw over QCOW? Uh, just because it's a little more performant. And since uh-huh. I'm just using this for gaming and nothing uh, business-facing, I don't really need the extra safety that QCOW provides. 
Yeah, it makes sense. Yeah, I can. I, I had the same internal debate myself, so that's uh, <laughs> yeah. curious. So once everything was all said and done with the pass-through and uh, all of that, did you run into any issues with the, with the VM, in particular like Windows, when you're working with an NVIDIA card? It can kind of suss out that it's in, a, it's in a VM, and the NVIDIA driver can essentially disable itself. And that's where you get this really common code 43 in the event log that says, or it's even when you just go into Device Manager, and you look at the driver, it'll be disabled, and you go in there, and it'll say, you know, error 43 or code 43 uh, device could not be properly initialized. Did you run into any of that kind of stuff? That's really common. No, I use AMD because they don't pull those kind of shenanigans. <laughs> you know what? You say that. You say that. However, I, uh, I also, uh, in this whole um, journey, I switched from an NVIDIA card to an AMD uh, RX uh, 570 and, um, man, it worked perfectly under Windows 10 and Mac OS, just automatically detected it. Never got it to work under Linux, so I wonder if something's wrong there. But under Windows 10, it works perfectly, full acceleration, until I upgrade to the absolute latest Insider build, so that way I could try out the uh, WSL2. We were going to do a little report on it. And when I do that, when I get to the latest build of Windows and it sucks down a newer version of the uh, GPU driver... It disables my card, and I actually get code 43 now in event view or in the log for my AMD card. It goes from working to not working. I'd be cautious about throwing shade based on an insider build, though. That's pre-release. Uh, yeah. Yeah. However, I did. So so uh, so get this, Daddy-O. I went back to a clean Windows 10, you know, standard install, which is it's up to date, but it's just on a regular, like, you know, the default track. And downloaded the latest AMD driver from their website, installed that, same issue. Hmm. I don't know, because I pulled the latest AMD driver off the website just yesterday to do the install, and it worked fine for me. I'm loving Drew calling you on this, Chris. I know. Well, it could, no, it really could be <laughs> something in my setup, because it's, it's a new video card. So, you know, you got to work these things out. Well, that's a pretty solid. So what are you using it for, Drew? Is it, is it Windows stuff you're using it for? Or what's, the, what's the utility you get out of this? Uh, Windows 10 gaming. The, so my wife is obsessed with this game called Ark, and uh, they just put out a new map. And occasionally I like to play with her. Now, Ark has a native Linux build, but it's terrible and trying to run it through Proton technically works, but it also uses BattleEye. So ah. it's real hit or miss. And so I thought, well, okay, I want to play with her on this new map, so why don't I try this pass-through thing? And yeah, I was able to get into the game and play a little bit, and works just great. It's the only way I'm going to run Windows now. It's like it's Windows with a safety net because you've got snapshots. You can physically copy the image file around. It, it really it feels like safe Windows to me, and uh, I, I like it. Uh, so I'll, I'll, I'll just briefly, my setup is two different setups. I've got what I call a virtualization go bag, and I'm very proud of this. I showed it to Wes the other day, and I was just going on and on about it. <laughs> I am so jealous, and since I have the same backpack you used— I might have to copy you. Yeah, I, I use the uh, swag backpack we got from Red Hat Summit, and I use that as my virtualization go bag. So it's a companion backpack that goes with my laptop backpack. And I don't take it with me everywhere, but I do sometimes take it between the studio and the RV. And inside this backpack is a tiny HDMI 1080p LCD screen. It's brilliant because it's so compact. Like, it's just super dense pixels, and it just looks gorgeous, and it's a very vibrant screen. HDMI cable that goes into the Thunderbolt 3 
Lenovo GPU dock that I got. I've talked about it before on the show. This is why I bought the GPU dock, too, because I plan to do something like this, you know? And so I have that in there, which has a Thunderbolt 3 cable that connects to the ThinkPad T480. I've got a USB gaming headset, a USB mouse, and a tiny portable USB keyboard that all go in this backpack, plus the power adapter that powers the whole thing. I bust all that stuff out. I hook it up. And in that, I've essentially got, in that backpack, a Mac, a Win 10 VM, and an Ubuntu 19.10 VM which I use for all kinds of different testing. The host system, like I said, is the ThinkPad. It runs Fedora 30, and it's been a dream to set this up. I use Vert Manager as the software front end to manage my VMs. I love it because I also have Vert Manager connected now to the on-premises server that we have here in, at the studio, and I can manage those virtual machines and my local virtual machines all through one UI. It also is a very easy way, by the way, BT Dubs, to go through and select the PCI devices you want to pass through to the guest. It's just nice because I, I like I like seeing the device names, selecting it, hitting apply, and then it's boom, it's set up. Oh, that sounds really nice. Yeah, you got to do the blacklisting of the PCI devices first. But once you've got them blacklisted on the host system, which is not hard to do, it's really just a matter of getting a list of the PCI devices on your Linux box. Checking it twice, I'm sure. Yeah, and we'll have, the, we'll have, we'll have some guides linked in the show notes. That's worth mentioning, Wes, because if you blacklist the wrong device, your system may not boot because suddenly the hard drive's ripped out from under the feet of the OS. So <laughs> oh, just be careful with that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, so you, you get a list of the PCI devices, you, you blacklist their individual IDs, you reboot, and then you go into Vert Manager, and as you're setting up the VM, you can go in and configure it for the additional options, and you add hardware, and one of them is p- pass-through devices. And you just start clicking on them. It won't let you add a device you haven't blacklisted. If a PCI device is in use, it won't let you assign it to a VM. So it's it's pretty easy. Like, you can't put a square thing into a round hole in this case. And uh, once you have it all set up, you double-click it, you start it. When you start it, it is such a sensation. Because you, you start a p- what, what feels like a piece of software on your laptop, and all these other physical hardware devices light up. The monitor comes on, the keyboard lights up, the USB audio card turns on, the blue light comes on. I hear that pop in the speakers. Like, it is amazing. You've just magicked up another computer. Exactly. I've conjured it from nothing. I've conjured it from nothing. And what's crazy about it is with modern systems, with SSDs and eighth-generation processors and et cetera, et cetera, you don't even really feel it on the host. Like, I'm just sitting there. I'm still running like a dozen and a half uh, Electron apps. I'm browsing websites in Chrome. I'm updating packages. Like, you don't even feel it on the host system because there's so much power to spare. These, you know, I've got cores for days, right? And I got 32 gigs of RAM in a laptop. So it's just brilliant because you've got so much horsepower to spare that you you can actually have another complete environment. And if you're even the slightest distro hopper or distro curious, this is so wonderful because I finally got the perfect Linux desktop. I am so happy with this setup. It's I, I am so happy with where things are at right now in 2019 because like Linux is just doing so well. The Mac is finally getting interesting again. Windows 10 is not like Windows before. That's something else I've learned in this experiment is they're doing different stuff with Windows 10. When you bring Windows 10 up to the latest insider builds and you get everything up to date so you can run WSL and um, all that, all those new goodies, 
it's a new OS. It's absolutely something Microsoft would have held back and made a different OS in, in years past. I mean, I'm talking different UI, different assistance pop up, different menu options, completely different configuration options. It's a different start menu. <laughs> like the login screen is different. Everything changes in these later insider builds. And it's, it's so exciting to watch. Like I'm, I'm not going to switch to Windows 10. I'm not going to switch to, to the Mac, but it is, it is fun right now. Like the platforms are actually getting interesting again. I happen to think Linux is the best right now. And now it's letting me play with these other things occasionally. But more importantly, I can keep trying out the latest Linux distributions without wiping my main setup. And that's where I can, I can, I can, I can sort of like fence off all the proprietary crap. All of the uh, closed source video card drivers, like for the NVIDIA card or proprietary games and software, that's all now in these VMs. And my desktop is like this pure open source stack that's just a rock solid machine. And if nothing else, that's what I love about it. Seems like it would work really well for any sort of appliance, right? Like maybe maybe if you're going to record a show and you could just sort of dock your ThinkPad into this setup and have all the sound devices ready, software configured in the VM set to go, and you don't have to futz with it. Did you see, as, as we're recording this, we're recording this a little early because of travel. Um, last night, the... Linus Tech Tips channel released a um, a video. It's something like six editors, one PC. No, where they're using essentially they're using this technology with a GUI on top. Um, they're they're using Unraid as a, as a as a KVM management tool, and they're they're allocating each developer an SSD, um, like thirty gigs of RAM or something like that, a Titan video card. Um, they're and and they're gonna they're essentially setting up one Linux PC. To power wow. six editing stations, yeah. I mean, it did cost them a hundred thousand dollars, so it's in Mac Pro <laughs> price territory. <laughs> so my other setup is I recently got, and I'll have a link to this, a Mantis eGPU dock, and this thing's pretty neat because um, a Mantis, it's with a Z. It has not only um, a full sized PCI slot for a full graphics card, so I put a, a AMD five seventy in there, but it also has a SATA enclosure inside, so you can have a dedicated SATA disk. It has a USB hub, so it's got like, I think, five USB 3 ports. And it's got gigabit Ethernet. That's everything you need to make a virtual machine essentially a real PC. Like, there's really not much fake about it at that point, because I'm using real USB, real Ethernet, real graphics, um, real physical devices to interact with it. It's running inside a VM, but it's not really that much, that much more unusual than a regular machine at that point. You just happen to be using the CPU kind of virtually. Everything else is real. Right. Yes, absolutely. Right. Yeah. You're just kind of loaning it some compute. Yes. And it's all coming in over one Thunderbolt 3 cable, which also, by the way, happens to supply power to my laptop. So I'm doing all of this with literally only a single cable coming out of my laptop. Now there's, you know, video co- cable and USB cables and stuff coming out the back of the eGPU box. But the laptop, it's one cable, and it does all of this. But still, shut up and take my money. That sounds amazing. It's so great. It's so fun. Um, and to really be able to play around with these operating systems and feel like they're full speed, I really, I've, I'm never going back. And I, I can, I can, I can honestly see myself not really needing to reload my laptop as long as the base OS continues to run fine. 
the base OS matters less than ever with Docker yeah. and containers and this and everything. I, I, I looked last night. I haven't reloaded my Arch system in 18 months and it's because I don't need to. Every, every time I get this itch, I can just spin up a VM and pass the graphics card through and it's, it, it's so good. Proxmox is another way to do this, right? Doesn't Proxmox now support PCI pass-through? Yeah, so Proxmox just uses KVM under the hood anyway. Um, and this was a second setup, which I realized I forgot to talk about. Um, so in my basement, I have a file server, which is um, serving Plex and a whole bunch of other stuff. Um, I also have a PFSense VM on there. Now that VM has a four gigabit Intel NIC card uh, with uh, two of those ports passed through. One plugs into the WAN port on the back of my router and the other one plugs into my LAN. So I have a fully virtualized PFSense and I've been running it now since I moved here. So since September and it's, it's been great. Um, I haven't, the only time I've had an issue is when the power's gone out and I haven't been home because my router hasn't rebooted properly or something, but that's, that's on the sysadmin. That's not on the software being a problem. Um, <laughs> right. True. So yeah, I, I passed through also to my, um, main, uh, file server i also passed through three different sata controllers one's an mvme one and then i have one that has i think 12 discs connected and another one that has another four discs connected or something um so you can really take this technology and run with it um and if you can think it you can do it <laughs> you just have to know how right <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I liked your note in the show notes. You're like, hey, by the way, not a bad way to mine crypto. <laughs> oh, yeah, no. So when I was getting into Bitcoin mining, this was when December, what, two years ago, uh, when Bitcoin was going bonkers. I built a Bitcoin mining rig with like seven GPUs in it or something. Turns out Windows has a four GPU limit. So what did I do? I created two Windows VMs and passed through four GPUs to each VM or four and three to each VM and got around the problem that way instead, rather than doing all sorts of crazy registry hacks that the internet was suggesting. Problem solved. I mean, one 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 potential reason you could even justify installing like a video card in the server we have here at the JB Studio is something else you could do is run a headless VM for, of Windows that's accelerated and then do Steam streaming. And just pass through a whole bunch of games to all your Linux boxes on the network. <laughs> that works stupidly well, except for one caveat. You're going to need some kind of a dummy um, dongle to go into the HDMI port to trick it into the correct resolution. So you can buy these things on Amazon that are 1080p, um, like headless, tricky dongle things. I, I don't know the name. It's not yeah, technical, yep. is it? But <laughs> Yeah, no, but it's been around for a while. You need them for, for a lot of Bitcoin mining setups, too. Yeah, I have a question about this. Um, so I tried to Steam stream from my Windows, you know, pass through VM to my Linux desktop that was a host, and it did crash Steam on the host, not on the guest. Um, is there anything special that needs to be done to support this? Like, should I, uh, do I need to pass through a discrete NIC, or does it only work if you know, the, the disc is fully passed through and it's got a discrete disc. Like, where am I going wrong? Or is it just that this particular game is just horribly buggy, which is certainly true? Games don't have bugs in them. Who are you kidding? <laughs> um, so there's a couple of ways to skin this turkey, right? First of all, you, uh, I don't, I don't know what you've done with your NICs, but, um, the traditional way is to use vert IO to have, um, a 10 gigabit ethernet link between the host and the guest. So I'm assuming that's the way you go. Cause that's what all the guides do. 
You could do what Chris did and pass through an actual physical nick, which is also another way to do it. Um, but what you might be running into is uh, the CPU pinning thing that I talked about earlier. Um, if one or either of the VMs or, or the host runs out of um, enough CPU time, there can be some contention issues there. So it's worth pinning those CPU cores. Mm, that is one thing I haven't gotten to yet. So I will give that a shot. Same. Also, something else Drew might consider is maybe just not doing this setup, but playing around with something like Looking Glass. Yeah, so Looking Glass is super duper cool. So this, um, the frame buffer technology that Chris talked about uh, being potentially added to macOS, this this technology was developed by a chap on the uh, Level 1 tech forums. uh, GNIF, I think, is his moniker. Um, You know, Wendell and uh, all all those guys over on Level 1. So Looking Glass allows you to capture the frame buffer output from the HDMI port. So when Windows renders a frame, it writes that very short term to a piece of memory. What Looking Glass does is it hooks into that piece of memory and makes it available from the guest to the host. And there's also another patch that lets you view that frame in a VM. So you could effectively share this piece of memory between two VMs via the host, which is kind of meta and amazing. And what this allows you to do is capture basically in real time the HDMI output from the guest and display it in a window on your Linux desktop. Oh, wow. So you could effectively marginalize Windows to be nothing more than just a window. And no physical monitor, physical keyboard. Nope. And the latency is sub five milliseconds. So it's it's just as good as anything. And it's it's pretty amazing. It's better than some monitors. Yeah. Now, really, you can tie all that together by getting some input in there, too, with something like Synergy, which the audience tells us all about all the time, and we never really talk about it. But Synergy is, uh, uh, there's, and there's, uh, you actually use Synergy, or, or there's a couple alternatives, too, but it, it lets you move a mouse between hosts on your LAN or the host and the VM. Yeah, there's, uh, we talked briefly about keyboard and mice earlier. So there's the USB switcher option, which is in the show notes. There's Synergy, which allows you to just move your cursor from one window to the next seamlessly as if it's multiple windows on the same system. It's like magic and it's amazing. Um, there are other ways to do it using EV dev. So you can actually uh, uh, pass the devices through that way, or you can use Versh attach device, which is a, a command that allows you to, um, interact with your VM. Um, you need to write a couple of XML files and, um, I've provided a couple of templates I use from my VFIO repo, um, on GitHub. And it's a very simple, you can just script it and, uh, bind it to a hotkey. So I have a, a hotkey that changes the monitor inputs using ddutil um, and also passes through my keyboard and mouse at the same time. And then I have the same thing in Windows, but it just SSHs into the host uh, remotely and then undoes what it's just done. So it's you have to, you have to give it some thought, but it's it's not too hard to get a slick setup going. Yeah. So Chris, I know that uh, one of the things that you've mentioned is using macOS in uh, a PCI pass-through setup. And would this be a way for me to possibly get away from having to run macOS as as being my daily driver because I need those Adobe applications? Um, And then two, how will that uh, affect those Adobe applications? So whenever I go to render out, you know, most often it's 1080p, uh, but whenever I go to render out 1080p video, um, am I going to see a performance hit there on the rendering side? Uh, you know, how, how exactly would this work out? Because I would love to eventually, 
you know, have a system like this where I have a rock solid, uh, Linux base with, uh, VMs and pass throughs. I could see this being great for not only mm-hmm. my desktop, uh, my personal desktop, but also my travel work laptop, uh, just being able to plug in, pass everything through, get work done, shut it down or, you know, not necessarily have to feel like I need to reload an old beater machine to test out maybe a different distro. Totally. But be able to play around with it a little bit more. Well, um, I'll start with the latter half. Of the, so the last half of the question is, is it a performance penalty? I think it depends on how you how you look at it. Um, I think to get a Mac that could outperform what I can match in commodity PC hardware would probably cost me thousands of dollars. Could I buy uh, an iMac Pro that would outperform this VM? Yes. Could I afford one? No. And the other thing that's nice about this is this eGPU setup also can benefit the host system down the road if I want. I could plug this into another computer and just use it as a video card if I want later. It doesn't have to be used for VMs. Um, and I'm obviously, I'm using this hardware for multiple operating systems, which that wouldn't necessarily be the case with Mac OS, even with Boot Camp. You could even bring it to the Sprint or something, right? And you're, you're sharing your GPU with others. Yeah, I mean, I've got, you know, I've got the GoBag. I've got the virtualization GoBag. And I would say that that is going to probably easily outperform a laptop or a Mac Mini. So, you know, you got you just kind of, that's where I look at the performance aspect. And you could go all in, right? You could, you could get a really expensive PC and you could probably allocate just a portion of that to outpower a Mac unless you were looking at the really high end. Now, the other side of it, could you use it to run Final Cut and whatnot? I haven't, I haven't actually done a full edit session yet, but you're, 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 you and I are on the same page here. This is what I'm thinking is I'd really like to get back into flying the drone and doing drone videography and photography. And as soon as I do that, I'm going to want to edit. I'm going to want to color correct. I'm going to want to, you know, fix it up a little bit. And I'm going to want to use Final Cut because in my, my opinion, my experience, it's just the, it's the better editor for online media. Now, maybe I'll try some other ones over time. Like I'm not, like I'm not like announcing some intention here. It's just something that's been in the back of my mind. Um, I thought, well, okay, let's see. Let's just see. Could I? As a thought experiment, before I go learn Blender or before I go spend a whole bunch of time with DaVinci or et cetera, et cetera, could I get Mac OS working in a VM that could actually be hardware accelerated and use Final Cut? Because in theory, I could easily buy a video card that's nicer than 90% of the Mac video cards that you get when you buy a Mac. Um, and to that end, there are surprisingly more and more guides and systems to get Mac OS even the latest betas of Catalina running under VM. So I would say it's it's like Hackintoshing, but it's like the most Mac way possible to Hackintosh because you have a known set of hardware that you have a known set of drivers for. So it's like how Apple develops Mac OS for the Mac. It's like Hackintoshing that way. It's it's becoming like the go-to way to run macOS really easily on PC hardware. It's sort of the most reliable way to Hackintosh right now. Does that make sense? So there's some risk. I mean, it's not a Mac, but it's probably the most solid. And with Apple seemingly adding Vert.io driver support to later versions of macOS, it may be even easier soon. There's a big caveat though, isn't there? Don't you need a Mac to create the install media in the first place? Uh, no, <laughs> not anymore. You used to could, as my kids would say. But have you seen this uh, simple Mac KVM guide going around? Nope. 
You're going to tell me all about it now, though, right? Mm, yes. We'll have a couple of links in the show notes. Um, it's pretty brilliant. So there is a little tomfoolery going on to make it possible. The author of this script, which is an open source script, I think, I have not looked into it, but I think is presenting to the Apple servers a Apple user agent ID. Um, like a web, you know, because it's, it's an HTTP request. And I think this is maybe the only tomfoolery happening here. But what you have is he's got two scripts, basic.sh, and then there's a second script that essentially launches the VM for you and does some of the pass-through commands. And what basic.sh does is it says, hey, what version of macOS would you like? And you just, you know, you just add it with a, like attack Catalina, attack Mojave, or whatever. And then it goes and it knocks on Apple's recovery server doors and says, um... Hi, I'm a broken iMac, and uh, my user needs to reload their operating system. Can I stream the installer from you, please? And it says, okay, here's the URL on the Akamai CDN. We'll blast you those packets as fast as humanly possible, or actually electronically possible. And so it tells the recovery service that you're a broken iMac, and you can then, without ever having to download from the Mac store or and flash a... Uh, a USB disk or anything, it'll 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 get you the recovery ISO, and then you boot that in the VM, and it just pulls down the installer like a net install would. Does it work with modern NVIDIA GPUs, or because Apple haven't shipped a 10 series, have they? Now your mileage there is going to vary. This is that fun corner of Hackintosh, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're going to have a much better time with an AMD graphics card. Is that the same for AMD, uh, you know, and in, in Intel as far as uh, being supported by Hackintoshing? See, this is where this is where doing it in a VM actually makes things a little easier because that stuff is a little more abstracted. It's just standard VM stuff at that point, and so it just looks like a regular Intel system or whatever to the Mac OS. So it doesn't care care about the the underlying chip architecture at all. Nope, not really. As long as your CPU supports all the stuff, and yeah, I, now to be clear, I have I have run into issues with networking support and whatnot. I'm not here proclaiming that it works flawlessly yet. I've gotten close. <laughs> but I have not gotten it all working yet. I have not gotten through a, a full test of Final Cut yet. I have not brought in 4K footage. So it's up in the air. I have gotten Linux and Windows VMs. Those are my priority. Um, and no surprise here, guess what operating system works the best? Linux. Like if you, like I, I actually now have decided that I'm going to do all of my gaming in a VM. I'll just have a image, a VM image, or a, actually this SSD disk, if I can say that, this SSD disk that's in my eGPU is just going to be loaded with a VM that's got all my Steam games and all my GOG games installed and all my Lutris games always installed with all of the proprietary graphics drivers installed. I hook that up to my base system and I start playing. No more downloading. Maybe I have to patch a little bit. No big deal. Linux is such a great guest in this setup. So it's it's like even even if you never have any intention of running Windows or Mac OS, it's absolutely worth it just to play with Linux. I thought though too, we should Wes has talked about this a little bit on and off in the past, but since we're doing like a different crazy great ways to run Linux and other operating systems without having to nuke your install, um, Wes has got a clever way that he likes to run machines. Uh, I know you've played around with a few different things. What do you want to share with the class today, Wes? Oh man, there's just so many ways. I was disappointed to hear that some of this pass-through stuff might not work with partitions because just having a separate partition can be an easy way down that road where you can boot into something or 
it's really easy to use virtualization to just attach to an existing partition. And as long as you're not accessing that or have it mounted in the host, right, then away you go. I love that just because anytime I can use the host system to install a new operating system without having to reboot and go through that painful cycle of disconnecting everything I'm doing or having to get a second computer, I just don't want to be bothered. You know, I do kind of walk um, kind of a happy medium here. I'm passing through like ISO images and um, I am doing a a cow file, but I also, for like the Windows installation, before I like wanted to get everything all plugged in and everything, I just, you know, I I just clicked in the VM and had it grab my mouse and keyboard. And I actually did the whole Windows install with the laptop mouse and keyboard on the laptop screen using, it's like a VNC, uh, they call it Spice, you know, where you can just remote view. Oh, the yeah. I did that. And then once the installation was done, I, I, I hooked up all the physical hardware. So I kind of do I like a balance there. Windows can actually uh, boot from a raw image as long as you make it in the VHD format. So if you already had, say, a shared NTFS drive, uh, that's one way you can easily do it from a file if you don't want to muck about with separate drives or even a separate partition. So that's nice, too, is if you're clever about it, you can often boot into files, especially on Linux, because, you know, you can make Linux do anything. Is You can have a virtual machine image, set it up in a virtual machine, and then if you, you know, play around with your init RAM FS or your your grub setup a little bit, you can reboot right into that and not have to mess with having a separate system. You just got to know how, huh? You just got to know how. So that's something that I use quite heavily. I actually switched away from grub to system deboot on my host. Uh, it makes it a lot easier to specify which particular kernel I'm booting into or things like that than I, I found grub. So give system deboot a try. Oh yeah, it's a, it's fantastic. And the configuration files are easy to read and easy to modify. Very good. And then I suppose for something completely different, if you don't feel like virtualizing, there's always kexec, which we've talked about that before too, which is uh, sort of like live switching to a whole new kernel. Wes likes to make it extra spicy by then when you when you kexec, you also are running his, he runs his disk out of RAM. So it's like the whole thing is just like. Right. I mean, if you're, if you're, you're not sure about a distribution, you just want to <laughs> give it a try. You really don't want to commit. That's, that's about as close as I can get. You could just, the ultimate rage quit. You turn off the power button and the entire thing is erased. You know, it's, it's gone. gone. It's gone. so satisfying. <laughs> I wonder how fast Windows would feel if I ran it from RAM. I might try that. Oh, you should. I think Windows update would still take forever. I'll tell you what. Oh, that's been one thing that I have just. Shaking my head at they then they've tried to make it better in the later builds, but what they did is they added like six more screens of options. It's it's a lot. I really just appreciate package managers after that. All right, well, I know we just kind of given you the basics to get started, but this is one of those things you'll have to go deep dive. We'll have some additional resources in the show notes and a surprise here. Shocker, everybody! The Arch Wiki is also a great resource. Who would have known? We'll be back with a regular format at our regularly scheduled live time over at jblive.tv right here next Tuesday. Apparently, in uh, last week's Coda Radio, I leaked what the next free study groups are on uh, 
<laughs> Linux Academy. I didn't mean to. <laughs> I guess. I guess. I, I guess I did talk about it before it was public on there. Oops. Well. I don't know. You know, this is this is one of those episodes I have been wanting to do PCI. I know I said this beginning, but I really been wanting to do PCI pass through since it was ever ever a thing, and it always seemed it always seemed like just like way too much work to get started with. Yes, I've been following it too, right? Because it's always been that sort of holy grail, like oh, maybe you need Windows. You don't want to deal with separate machines or rebooting. You can have everything, and I guess you can. Yeah, I think it's totally worth it, and it's not that bad anymore if you've got modern hardware. That's really the key is you got to happen to have some current stuff, um, but eventually everybody's going to have this stuff, and then we're really going to be cooking with gas. Like, it's going to be uh, – I'm just really excited about the potential, and that now that I have an NVIDIA setup and an AMD setup, I feel like I'm going to really be able to get to play. Like, neither one of the setups are particularly high-end graphics-wise, but there's still so much to learn and see how systems respond with different graphic stacks, and uh, that's going to be a particular – area of interest for me, I think. I've just dropped into Slack a link to a, a file that might help your networking issue on um, OS X. This uh, BR net filter thing needs to be called by sysctl at boot time uh, to oh. allow the uh, IP tables, I think, to be modified. Ooh. So I think my Windows VM wouldn't get an IP address until I enabled this. So that's Ooh, worth considering. Good. It's in that um, Arch VFIO repo that uh, it's on my GitHub. <laughs> Of course. And in the show notes. Yeah, I was going to say. <laughs> Wes, you're on top of it. 